welcome to the City Speaking Podcast. The city speaks, you try to follow obedient. Even the ones that don't swallow, crossing bridges, connecting the dots. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the City Speaking Podcast. It's Josh. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I hope you're doing well. Man, this episode, this episode is a bit of a beast, I would say. This week's guest is Evan Fowler. Uh, Evan is a writer. Um, I would also call him a, uh, an intellectual and uh, in, in, in many respects uh, a bit of a historian, but I'm not sure he would agree with those characterizations. He's, he's quite humble. So uh, yeah, officially, you know, Ev- Evan is a writer. Some of you may know Evan from his writing. Um, he writes with the Hong Kong Free Press, and he's also appeared in many other publications uh, over the years. But also, you know, it's 2017. It's been 20 years since Hong Kong's handover from Britain back to China, uh, the handover in 1997. And the BBC decided to do, to do a, a series on that. And one of the for one of the segments... I believe it was a series. For one of the segments, they spoke with Evan uh, to talk a bit about his thoughts on the handover and where he sees things and you know what his plans are for the future. And one of the things he said was that he would he feels he has to leave because he sees his home changing. Hong Kong being his home, where he was born and where he grew up and where he has a sense of belonging and roots and he's just very attached to his home. And... Uh, and from that segment, if you if you ever read the comment section, it's it's you have a really a mishmash of 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 opinions on that. Some people are like, you know, yeah, Evan, we understand, we feel you. Hey, you're still you're still from Hong Kong. You're still a Hong Konger. Doesn't matter that you're Eurasian race. Doesn't matter. And then you get people that are like, no, well, you know, then then leave. You know, whatever. You're not really Chinese anyway. Just some really just some really ignorant stuff happening. Uh, in the comment section. Then again, that's a lot of comment sections. Let's be honest, right? Let's be honest. But at the same time, um, it generated a, um, a little bit of a buzz. Um, and so one of the things we talk about early on is is that segment, um, which leads into, uh, you know, which meanders through that. From that point on, we meander into all different kinds of of topics, The you know, uh, obviously culture and identity, things that I'm really interested in talking about, you know, and what it means to be Chinese, you know, like, you know, the idea of, you know, if you're from Hong Kong and Hong Kong goes back to China and it was a former colony, does that mean that because it was a former colony and you're not entirely ethnically, you know, Chinese, does that mean that you're not Chinese? You know, where do we fit in uh, in the Chinese world? So it was just a really interesting conversation to have with him um, but also at times kind of heartbreaking. So um, I won't go into too much of that. I, I'd rather you guys listen to, you know, you hear, you hear Evan's point of view uh, on that and hear his thoughts on that. A few other things I do want to set up for you guys. We also, later on in the podcast, we talk a bit about crime and how crime is different in Hong Kong compared to other parts of the world just because Hong Kong is known as, to, as being quite a safe, uh, safe place. But we just also talk about how crime is is different in Hong Kong. We don't necessarily see it uh, so much on the outside. Um, it's not it's not quite as obvious. 
And in the flow of the converse, in the flow of the podcast and the conversation, I didn't really get to. I don't always push back. Uh, I, I let guests share their thoughts, and you know, I, I try to move forward whenever I whenever I, I see it fit. But we did talk a bit about about it afterwards, and I think we both talked about our own experiences further dealing with you know the the world of 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 crime in Hong Kong. I know that sounds really dodgy now that I say that out loud. <laughs> Um, but, 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 uh, j just that, you know, the, the cr crime typically affects lower socioeconomic folks out here. And that's probably true in most places. Um, uh, but, you know, we talk about our own personal experiences with family members that we have, uh, you know, the assumption of course is that, you know, Evan and I both are Eurasian. So, you know, because we look kind of white. Or you know, some people think we're white. Then that means we don't encounter, um, we don't, we don't see these things. But that's just not true. You know, we are. We've seen these things. We've experienced these things. You know, we've walked through housing estates. We have family that live in housing estates. Um, we've heard stories. We've seen things. Uh, I just wanted to bring this up just because it's something we, we mentioned, we talk a bit about briefly, but I think it's just something that uh, I wanted to clarify or just bring up here. Um, yeah, we also talk about the Umbrella Movement, the Umbrella Movement um, from a few years ago. Um, I'll have links to all these things, guys, as well um, in the bottom. What else do we talk about? We talk about uh, Jonathan Haidt. We even talk about Jonathan Haidt, the uh, NYU professor, we mentioned the Heterodox Academy. I've got links to that as well. Um, what else did we talk about? Oh, yes, of course. How can I forget this? Evan talks a bit about his bout with depression. I'll leave it at that. I'll leave it at that. He He's very candid about it, and he was quite, I thought he was quite brave, to be honest, in many ways. But it's really important for people to be to be willing to talk about these things and talk about how they got through these things and why and you know confronting confronting the monster confronting the monster accepting the monster and that's one way that you defeat and move through the monster and um and yeah just you know there's just honestly guys there's just so much there's just so much that goes on in this podcast i really don't want to you know, I don't want to try to summarize everything in, in the in these intros, but needless to say, look, look, this is um, identity, culture, ethnicity, these things, politics, these things all can be really polarizing, and and sometimes when we talk about things, it can be very we can generalize, but the reality is the usual caveats apply. I think I even say that in this episode that it's not. You know, when we say, when we mention a group, we don't, obviously don't mean every individual from a group. Um, when we talk, when we refer to something, we don't mean, we don't always, we don't necessarily mean them as a monolith. Uh, you know, at the same time, we have to talk about these ideas and we have to have these discussions. And so, voila, here we are. Because really, guys, uh, the most important thing here is that we're looking for the, the truth whatever that is it's often gray as in it's not black or white and so it's through the exchange of ideas that we can find some semblance of truth and and reality and understanding 
So to set up the introduction, um, Evan and his wife have come back uh, from the UK. They gave me a book on brewing, for those of you that don't know. I'm also a, a, a home brewer. And, uh, and so they gave me a book. And so we open up sort of talking a bit about that. You'll also hear the little pitter-patter, if you will, click-clacking of pause on the, on the hardwood floor. Those would be the paws of Evan's dog. Uh, and she's just a little sweetie. Uh, anytime the conversation got a bit heavy, which was every now and then, uh, she would just come up to us and she would just, like there were a few moments where she just came up and she just put her head on my, on my knee. It was really, really sweet, actually. Um, so, uh, so you hear that. And you also hear me typing a bit because Evan's just... Evan just knows so much stuff. He just has so he just has all the he spends so much so much time thinking about these things that he just has all this information and all these ideas and he just knows all these things, all these facts. So I needed that, you know, me being the Neanderthal that I am, I needed my laptop just to try to try to keep up. Um, so yeah, one last thing, folks. I you're listening back to the podcast and you know, doing the editing work on it, you know, one of the things that I love about doing this podcast is that obviously I get to talk to people about interesting topics, hear their thoughts, learn things, try to become a better person by acquiring new ideas and new thoughts and thinking about them, having my thoughts and my ideas challenged, uh, strengthening my own arguments, but really just connecting with people and just finding things out. And uh, another thing also that comes with that is I definitely felt it was very obvious for me in this episode this in this conversation was it's also where I where I it, <laughs> when I tell you what it is you, you'll appreciate the irony <laughs> the irony of this moment here it's where you can actually where you actually have to formulate your thoughts and ideas and try to articulate them especially in moments where you have all this emotion that can come up surrounding particular topics and all these different thoughts that you want to bring in and you want to just have it all come out, but you still have to be able to articulate it, put it together in a coherent manner and bring it out. And it's not always easy in the flow of a conversation. And, and, and so I, I definitely felt that in this episode... I see that. I saw I could I could hear I could hear the cogs turning. I could hear I could hear all the thoughts popping out, you know, a hundred miles an hour, just bam, 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 coming through and all of the emotions that boil through as well. It was really interesting to observe myself you know, in that regard, just as 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 the as the person that's engineering as as the editor listening to it and trying to piece it together. Um whereas Evan's Evan is an Evan is quite articulate and um, thoughtful. And uh, linguistically gifted as well, I would say. So to kick off the episode, I'm gonna. I found this quite fitting, so I'm gonna quote him. I don't normally do this, but I think it makes sense, uh, particularly for this episode. Uh, I will leave you with a quote from Confucius, great Chinese philosopher. They who know the truth are not equal to those who love it, and they who love it are not equal to those who delight in it.
Folks, go out there, find your truths, and I hope you all can delight in it, no matter what that is. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Without further ado, my conversation with Evan Fowler. But it's really, it's, it's my kind of what it comes to it. Like I, I love the technical side of things, but the history and the stories and all that kind of stuff, that kind of fabric is what makes it meaningful in many ways. And that, that kind of stuff I enjoy. And within that, there are recipes too. So that makes it extra awesome. So Yeah, I wish I, wish I could actually add to that. But as someone who's never liked beer and really had, <laughs> I think the, the, the only thing I know about Anything I know about beer, of course, is, is in some ways why people used to drink it in the first place, and that was because water was, you know, such a dangerous thing to drink. So the the you know brewing, the process of brewing and, and fermentation was a way of actually cleaning the the water of, of deadly bacteria. And that's why British ale has such a low alcohol content because it wasn't about getting super pissed per se. <laughs> But yeah. it was about having something that you could po- something something potable that you could drink. That's right, and you know you wouldn't get yeah. sick. <laughs> yeah, but that's also why tea and coffee houses were uh, were popular as well. Well, um, no, I, I mean I'm I'm not not an expert in in it in any way, but I know because because coffee came in. I think yeah, coffee did come in first, but coffee was, you know, I think both tea and coffee were were fashionable drinks to have. I mean, they mm. they coffee was came into Europe um, uh, well, so I believe you know um, sort of with with Turkish influence mm. uh, through, you know sort of through Turkish and Ottoman influence and and um, yeah I think you know drinking coffee was was seen as as one of the things the Turks did and one of the things that gave you you know the prowess of the early Ottoman Empire and and um, uh, yeah, I think it was a fashionable thing to do. Tea, of course, was always sort of sold as also having uh, health benefits. But mm. you, you know, looking at that, I mean, I think a lot of a lot of new foods and drinks that are introduced are introduced on such claims. But uh, I, I think, yeah, I think tea and coffee were mostly sort of fashionable things to have, whilst uh, you know, fashionable and healthy things to have. Whilst, of course, beers and ales and things yeah. were were really. Um, you know, it was a way to. It, it was a. It was more a process of cleaning the water. So you had fluid that you could you could take that didn't have dangerous bacteria. I, I do recall though. Um, I'm trying to remember whether it was an article or a TED talk. Um, with, uh, can't remember where I, where I remember. Where I, um, the topic was the rise of the of the coffee and the tea houses and why it was an important place because ideas were able to be exchanged in that setting that's right and and there were also you know not only the tea house but the tea gardens mm. um which were you know very big i think in the 18th century i think the last one sort of closed in around 1830 but um yeah you know absolutely it was a place where people you know could come and they could meet and um they did a lot more than just talk i mean you know the especially the tea gardens was were um where all sorts of naughty things happened. Uh, <laughs> oh, heaven. <laughs> yeah. Oh, heaven. I know, I know. <laughs> but, um, 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And mm. you know, I, I think I think it's um, they they were sort of ran parallel with uh, very much a grow in a growth in you know participatory politics and and you know sort of an awareness of of um, I guess of, of you know politics and and of of engagement of engaging with their with their community with their people. Well, it's 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 so on one level. First of all, everyone's in one location. Then they're all doing something similar, mm. right? And then what they're drinking is has caffeine, mm. right? Or if there's alcohol in it, there's alcohol in it, right? So I guess in either way, either you're stimulated on one side, or you're socially lubricated in another. Mm. And I think that kind of it's an interesting way to to look at substances as a way of stimulating discourse. Mm, yeah, yeah. Right. Well, I I don't know. In in some ways, maybe there are parallels that can be drawn with, you know, the invention of LSD and things. We can talk <laughs> about that. Like, <laughs> that again, that, that, I'm hardly an expert, so <laughs> really, I'm really sort of delving into areas where I really shouldn't hold opinions. Well, but. no, I mean, no, I mean, this is hey, this is just open chat. It's also, <laughs> and if you ever want me to check anything, I, I deliberately bought my. I don't normally have my computer with me, yeah. but I thought with you in particular, just because you being who you are, a writer, and being knowledgeable about so many things on policies and whatnot. I, for myself, for my I own sake, I, okay. I needed to... No, well, not just not to check you per se, but just so I, I, I knew what's going on and also should we need to read anything out to people, we can okay. definitely okay, do sure. that. So yeah. so there's always that. So if you're unsure, you can just say, Josh, can we can we look into that? And I'll be, I'll be, <laughs> I'll be happy to do it. I'll be happy to do it. Well, so, then, then, then I think the conversation gets far too serious. If we have to, yeah. Well, I mean, well, wherever it goes is wherever it goes. True, true. That's kind of how, how I'm seeing it. But, you know, you, so let's move, move into perhaps an area then where it's more your, more your wheelhouse then. Um, mm. I would say perhaps your writing. You know your your ideas on policy, on Hong Kong, on China, on the West Western democracy, um, things like this. Which is I, I understand I'm painting a very general, broad brush here. But if we need a point to enter, perhaps we can look at um, where where people might know you from more recently, which would be the BBC video, which came out. Can can I ask you to just okay help set it up a little bit, um, oh. guys? I'll have I'll have a link to it in the show notes, but I do want Evan to. Talk a bit about it as well. So go on. Okay. Well. Well. Um, basically, the the BBC video was part of the um, their coverage of the twentieth anniversary of the handover. And so from nineteen ninety seven to twenty seventeen, and um, they basically contacted me and sort of said, "Oh well, we're we're doing some short videos of." of people who are um you know who who identify with hong kong but who have decided to leave and though i hadn't really sort of made it very public uh, you know there were a few people who who know that for several reasons um at the end of last year i i decided that um i i don't see myself as leaving hong kong but i i i need to establish a second home somewhere um and uh should i digress into that a little yeah, bit yeah go for it no, okay, this is so, as we yeah. okay so um i guess in 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 a nutshell um uh, over the last two years well 
after the the Occupy protests, which I found were um, you know very sort of emotionally traumatic, simply because there were a lot of institutions that I had sort of grown up to believe in, which I considered were core to Hong Kong. And prior to Occupy, I felt um, when I did feel a need to write about them, I wrote about them from the perspective of, you know, these are important core Hong Kong institutions and values that we need to, we need to kind of reinforce. Um, Occupy made me sort of realise actually how much um, those values had been really damaged. Um, And also, you know, how some of the institutions that I had felt um, were were still in in good shape were you know i i think were not quite as robust as i considered them to be can i just ask you really quickly um what type of values and then what Institu- which institutions okay yeah. well um i think i think with with occupy you know i i was there as indeed we were both there when mm, when when that's the, true. the the tear gas first um happens and and uh you know, it was really, it was um, uncalled for. I mean, it was action which I think was definitely not appropriate to um, what was happening on the streets. And, um, you know, that's fine. I mean, it was clear to me that the police had been prepped for something that wasn't going to happen. I mean, I was actually very shocked when, you know, the the Hong Kong police are usually um, incredibly you know, polite. I mean, in some ways, you know, they always sort of say that, that the, the you know, sort of the, the British police force are, are, are very, you know, very good. In some ways, the, the Hong Kong police force, the old Hong Kong police force was, was, was even better, you know, in the sense of when we had, uh, well, when I had, had uh, been around <coughs> protests in the past, mm-hmm. you know, you think of, you know, let's say the, the June 4th sort of, um, remembrance that that occur every year so can i just ask you to set up what that june 4th remembrance is okay so so every year um on um june the 4th people in hong kong uh you know usually tens of thousands uh, of people um gather to remember what happened in 1989 tiananmen um you know which unfortunately is something that I think it had a huge impact because, you know, it, it, what, I mean, what happened at Tiananmen not only happened there in Beijing, but there were crackdowns all over China. So I think, first of all, you know, most families in Hong Kong have family members in China who were caught up in that. So, you know, there are personal links there. Mm. And secondly, uh, I think a lot of people felt certainly in 1989 at the time that what the students were protesting about and you know the 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 desire for china to move into you know to pass democratic reform um and they weren't demanding immediate democratic reform it was you know very you know really it was uh, i think a very idealistic very intellectual uh, the irony of course was that the students then were i think far more um up to speed on on political ideologies and Marxism um, mm. <laughs> than they are now, you know, with with the old socialist, uh, well, well, sort of communist uh, education system. 
Um, so I think a lot of people kind of looked at that and, you know, they really felt that that was the China dream. That was the, this was a movement where we had personal connections and it was a movement that many people felt represented something beyond just the Communist Party. It, it was something that uh, represented China, mm. whether you were from Taiwan or whether you were from Hong Kong or as indeed many people in China, they looked at you know that stu- those student movements as as something that really represented all of China and the Chinese people. And of course, for them to be cracked down in the way they were, you know, bearing in mind that you know the military units in Beijing, you know, could not be mobilized, obviously. So, so they brought in military units from outside. Um, to, to crush the, demonstra- the, the, the demonstrators and um, you know my family I remember sitting with my grandmother and um, you know my, my grandmother is is Chinese and, and so I was sitting there with her and, and all my family and everyone was weeping everyone was crying and we were watching this little television screen and seeing these live broadcasts from Beijing and what was so shocking though is Having seen that, and also, you know, knowing people, I mean, luckily no one in my immediate family was affected, but certainly, you know, there are people who, who I think everyone here knows was affected by that. For now, to, you know, to return to a China where that officially either never happened or there was not a massacre, there was... There was. It's only the Tiananmen incident. It's not taught at schools. You know, it's um, it's a glaring gap. It's a glaring. Uh, yeah, I, the, you know, it 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 um, feels very wrong. I think for for certainly people of my generation, and I think a lot of people, you know, of, of my parents' generation and older who who rem- who remember that. I yeah. we were we're about the same age I think mm-hmm. <clears throat> I think you may be a little bit older than me but uh, yeah I remember I remember seeing the images like I remember it was news yeah and the fact so it's news it, it had happened there's documentation of it and yet we can't talk about that like that that always boggles my mind just in it, under any context I was like but 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 this happened no like mm-hmm. uh, no well can we at least talk about it because there's footage of it. Yes. Can we at least discuss this? And I always, I just personally, I always struggle with that. But, yeah, but, but they have not been able to talk about stuff. But I think that's that's the big challenge, and that's the way Hong Kong, I think, has changed so much in the sense that um, it's not only that it was documented, but virtually all of us again have personal links to people mm. who were affected by what happened, and to just basically be told that. No, it didn't happen, or um, the students. The students attacked the the soldiers, and um, it was the soldiers who got who got who got killed, not not the students. And all of this is a, a foreign conspiracy to make China look bad. Um, you, you know, we we kind of know that there's something deeply dishonest about that narrative. We don't really know what happened in Beijing. I've spoken to, I've got friends who were there, um, but but, and I've spoken to them, and I have to say, I've got wow. you know, I've got different, different perspectives of, of what was happening. 
Um, so, you know, I think it's very difficult to to sort of ascertain what the truth is. Uh, I mean, my my background academically is as a historian, you know, and, and when we piece together history, um, we have to sort of be... Uh, you know, we we have to be aware that we we don't know what the narrative is. We you know we have to be open to all all of the sources, and also always open to changing, you know, our understanding of of that narrative. And I think what's so unsettling now is that um, you know with Tiananmen, it's not as though what we remember is right. It's not as though those images prove something happened, but for us. It, it's clearly something that's very important for, I think, all Chinese people. Mm. And um, to sort of be told that you can't really think about it, or you have to think about it only from this one perspective, even when there's so much evidence, including your own emotional feelings, that this is not what happened, it doesn't sit well. It, it, there's something really fundamentally dishonest um, about it. And I think that's what's... Um, that's what's so so disconcerting about it all. So, to loop this back to the the, the idea of Hong Kong values or mm. values and institutions, so would would it, one of the values then be the idea of free thought and free speech? I I think so absolutely. I I, I mean you know we started off by by sort of touching on these values and institutions and uh well, we started know, in, with, in, with booze and, and tea we, we yes. did we did but, <laughs> i'm sorry but, go on, yeah go but <laughs> go on. no i'm sorry go on. You, i was trying to make yeah, a light joke because this is getting no, no. a bit heavy but sorry go on go on yeah i apologize apologize i i'm, I'm the one who usually usually delves into the deep no no but weekly. that's what this is about i i, I guess why <laughs> this is why i have these because we wouldn't yeah. <clears throat> we have an excuse to talk about these things like it's 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 great so sorry yeah. please go on i apologize no no so um yeah, I mean, if we just take 1989 and the way people in Hong Kong remember it, uh, again, it, it's not as though the way Hong Kong people remember it, the narrative they they got from seeing what happened, again, from having people who were affected in the stories they heard, um, it, it's not it's not as though that is the, the truth and the correct w- way, the as we're constantly being told at the moment, the right way of thinking, um, which is a big, big CCP term. You know, you, you, we have to teach people the right way to think. Um, you know, but the point is, we we have this understanding, which is also based around the values and and the the separate history that Hong Kong has. And um, if they're wrong, then maybe they are but then what we need to do is explore them and we can you know show us the evidence show us why show us in what way our views and our opinions are wrong and allow us to believe in a better you know more justifiable view allow us to or allow us to to change our own views um don't don't say well no you're not allowed to think this way no you're not allowed to remember it so um, after 1989, uh, that there was, you know, I think a million people who came out. Um, all of my family came out um, to to protest what had happened, and it was very interesting because it wasn't really a protest against the Chinese government. It was, you know, everyone came out and they lit candles, and and it's 
it's something that people do to remember those who died. And ever, ever since 1989, people in Hong Kong every year um, have come out on, on, on um, you know, the, the 4th of July, which of course is also quite a symbolic date because it's one month after you know the uh, sorry, sorry, the June fourth right the fourth of June, sorry. which is one month after you know the fourth of May. May fourth in itself is a is a um, a very important date for for China and and for modern China and for for Chinese people. And um, you know we we come out and we remember it. And um, we're not protesting against our government. We're not protesting against Beijing. We're remembering what happened we're remembering how we saw uh, events unfold in Beijing and how we experienced them here so to sort of see that and then as has happened in the last 10 years or so to suddenly see a group of um, let's say pro CCP pro Beijing who call themselves pro-China faction um, appear all of them parts of a social members of pro-Beijing association so they're not individuals who have chosen to, to sort of come and start showing videos th that say nothing happened at all in 1989 and then contradict themselves and say no actually all the people who died were were soldiers and it was students attacking soldiers um, you know, it's a little bit worrying. You know, you're there, you're not really... People are not there, I think, to make a political statement. They're there, you know, as much to remember what happened. And it's so sad that memory has become politicised. Mm. So, um, yeah, so I think certainly one of the core values of Hong Kong is having that freedom to express ourselves, that freedom to... freedom of conscience... You know the the freedom to be able to think. I mean, it's it's atrocious now when you know we we have our universities. Um, you know, someone uh, the the as happened earlier this year at Chinese University here, the student union. Um, they 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 so some people stuck up some posters, mm. and um, all, yes, all, all the all the poster said was. Uh, independent Hong Kong you know it wasn't advocating independence it didn't say you know rise up and fight for Hong Kong it was it, you know it was it was merely a merely a poster with a, a statement on it and um, well I mean it depends on what the statement is to be fair yeah but in this case it's just an independent Hong Kong that's right okay. so, so in this Got case it. it was merely this and uh, you know there was a mainland student who came over and and got very upset and started ripping it and ripping all the posters off campus. And this is all, for those listening, this is actually all online. This was actually news a little while, like quite That's recently right. actually, yeah. very recently this happened. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> it, it, was, it was sort of um, uh, what, a couple of months ago. Was it a couple of months ago? Has it been that long? Well, I think so. Maybe, maybe, anyway, maybe. it doesn't matter. It's, 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 uh, so it's, it's in recent times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and... and um, yeah, yeah, actually, I think it was September. Okay. So, God, goodness me, it's a couple of weeks, not a couple of months. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so, but, so yeah. what happened was this this student, you know, sort of ripped the posters um, down from the campus and, and uh, someone took a video and 
um, naturally there were students in the university um, who were quite upset with you know what this student had done and um, they then you know sort of students being students started giving her some grief but what was very interesting was the you know the general opinion in Hong Kong amongst students were that um, whether you agree or not with this position um, you shouldn't certainly at a university just rip all these posters down I, I mean you know if you want you can lodge a complaint or mm. yeah, you know but don't go around ripping these posters up or engage in dialogue yes. C- come up with your po- this whole I, I, I struggle yeah. and I think I'd like to get into this with you as well um, the, the idea that we the inability to use words and in thought to counter, to create a counter narrative and provide a more compelling vision of something. So this idea of instead of trying to speak about it, even if you stood there and said, "Hey guys, what does this mean?" Yeah. Seek clarity first, and then create your counter narrative. Should you see fit that that is what you what is required, uh, I. I I, I I wonder I wonder why why that is the case. What? Well, you know what, what's very ironic is in the West you have, you know this this um, safe spaces safe space yeah. um, uh, issue, which I fundamentally disagree with. Although, mm. you know, I would certainly say my values are are, are that of liberals. It, it 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 doesn't mean, you know, I approve of. You know what's sometimes termed the liberal left. So, you know the whole the whole point is, um, you know if if you're wrong, it, then well you know if if a if a position's wrong, as you said, you know, show me how. Let's let's talk about it. We have to be open to all of these. I mean that's isn't that a liberal value in itself? And that's and, why yes. And what's really fascinating though is in the West, you know this sort of. Um, Concepts of safe, safe space has come about because you have people who, who feel sort of individually threatened. So maybe you know it's it's issues of um, that they're upset because of uh, of. I, I mean, I think I think you know there are certainly cases where if you're dealing with, you know, let's say issues of, of rape or issues that deeply affect someone emotionally, then you know a- absolutely people. You know, should be warned in advance. I, again, I'm. I You're think. I to think. Trigger warnings. Yes, I think safe spaces are are probably a little too much. But you know, certainly trigger warnings should be should be given. But but it's all coming from someone. Uh, you know, the 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 perception that someone is attacking you, um, or, or is hurting you emotionally. But what's fascinating in China is that you have this reaction where someone who doesn't come from Hong Kong who has no connection with Hong Kong feels threatened by the fact that Hong Kong people have just raised the issue of Hong Kong as being a separate political entity to China. Not not saying Hong Kong is not China or Hong Kong is not Chinese or we are not Chinese, just simply saying that um, we don't identify or could we exist without the Chinese Communist Party running things. And um, for someone to find that that statement 
is a threat to them in 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 the same way that they rip up posters that they cause and it's not just one people it turns into you know a, a, a big debate on the university <clears throat> uh, campus and throughout hong kong I found that found that quite interesting. So, so it's really sort of safe spaces coming in from a nationalistic point of view, we, which to me isn't safe spacing <laughs> at all. It's called censorship. So, so that's actually a key, dis- and that is actually, I think, what it's about. Like the idea of why does a safe space exist? It, I, I, well, well, a safe space is surely you know, the whole point of safety is you're protecting me from the powerful. You're protecting me from someone who can hurt me. But but but, 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 but what's but, what's ironic sorry, here mm-hmm. is you have the power, you know, the dominant power, the government turning around and saying, essentially, we want a safe space from any non-official government narrative. And this is why I struggle with the concept of a safe space in the West, because you have you you are particularly in the United States, I, I struggle with this idea because part of me understands, like, the idea and the concept of a safe space sounds great. But, at, like, you know, the idea of a safe location, that mm. sounds good. But in practice, if the safety prevents you from engaging your mind with an idea, you will become numb to reality, is my concern. Well, well, I, I, and, think, I think you can't actually learn you know, and, and I, I know there's um, uh, oh, what what's what's his name? Um, uh, oh, I don't remember the chap's name. That's again. all right. There's, but you know, you know, there's there's that trap in the US who who who's you know really I think um, he's a um, uh, what does he do? Psychologist. I, th- I think his name's is he psychologist? Is he from Canada or from the US? From the US. Um, um, is he Height? Jo- Jonathan Height? Uh, yeah, from, yes, yeah, Well, he's, yeah. he started the Heterodox Academy. That's right. To, to that's count, right. Yeah, that's so, yeah, right. Yeah, him. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Happy someone's good at remembering names. <laughs> no, no. But he, yeah. he, he, you know, I, I, you know, I, I do agree with, you know, his his general assessment, and you know, it's important that we're not molly cuddled. It's important right. that you know we we actually um, are confronted by things because you know. Again, for a safe space, we're assuming that there's a threat. Mm. But if if we live our lives purely in a safe threat in a safe space, and we never actually come out to to evaluate whether we're under threat or not, you know, there there may be no threat there. But the safe space is actually preventing you from actually even realizing that. So you end up end up living your entire life believing you you are under threat, believing you need a safe space when there's actually no threat there at all and i think i think in in you know um certainly in some cases that's well i i think i think we 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 need to be able to sort of confront those we need to have that sort of dialogue that um so in the context of 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 our part of the world here then it's breaking down i I mean dialogue is is not encouraged at all and that is and that is what it's about is the idea the lack of encouragement in the discourse mm. and the idea and so the idea the idea of, of her excuse the the, the 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 student who ripped it down was that what it, what, was, what, what, what like what, what what did she call them she called them something right or, or she labeled yeah. them it was that you are unnatural you are you don't that's love right. you don't love you, you, you I, don't... I can la- I can paint you with this brush and that's it I can tarnish you with that and yet once you've done that, 
you you've you've um you've decided that basically by doing that you don't have to justify your position because you've called someone else something you are this boo yeah, well, well, you, you know, it's it's um, and and she's beloved on on um, on a lot by a lot of the netizens in in China. Like, she you know, she is she, the darling she you know of, she, of, she was uh, she became the darling of you know the online community in China. She was raised up as a you know sort of a, a hero, a national hero. Um, I, I mean, it's it's very worrying when you have that, and you know, again, that unfortunately that reaction is then promoted by government-sponsored, um, you know, netizens. Um, but now, now uh, I, I get, again, if... Yeah, netizens. Air, I just did the, the air quote, yes, sponsored yeah, netizens. Sponsored netizens. Because there's the... There's, the, um, there's also the... Uh, uh, there's the phenomena of the... What's being called? The, the Wu Mao. Mao. Yeah. Wu Mao. So for those of you listening, Wu Mao, it means 50 cent, uh, which is 50 uh, Chinese cents. And... As I understand it, and Evan, you, you you jump in if I'm incorrect here. They um, these are people that are allegedly paid fifty cents per post that they do online that they engage with in, in social media. Well, you know, I I'm no security online security sort of analyst or but my yeah my my understanding is you know there's there's essentially three elements to this. You have one. Um, people who are directly employed by the Chinese Communist Party to influence the way um, China is perceived. And uh, by estimates, what I've read is that, and this was a few years ago, they employ something like 600,000 people to to basically troll um, sites, targeting news organisations and the likes, um, to constantly give the official line and to to attack and to harass people who who challenge that line to to try and give the impression that um, all people in China believe this particular or take this particular line Um, you then have the second element which is informal now in in China there are literally uh, hundreds if not thousands of of informal um, associations of basically hackers who hack Site so so famously CNN was hacked. Uh, I, I mean I worked at at um, well I you know contributed to to a, a online paper called House News that was mm. that was hacked and also shut down. Um, That's right. And yes. and um, you know they 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 hack in and shut things down. So so they they mm. were you know I I believe. Um, couple of years ago in in 2000 actually i think it was in 20 2014 they they shut down um uh a power station in 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 the united states for for about for, is, a, couple, for a couple of days is that true really yeah, i think so um they, they they also hacked into they hacked into cnn so the cnn website for a couple of days when you tried to access it or for a period of time when you try to access it just came up with all these nationalistic Chinese slogans and these you know these organizations they kind of you know so these are sort of informal groupings they're not connected to the government um, they well they're not directly controlled by the government they that they, they are basically extreme ultra nationalists who who go online who who believe that China is 
under attack, that they believe that China is a victim of Western aggression. Um, they believe basically a, a China, a historical and continuing narrative that China is a victim. So I was going to say, so this is essentially the victim mentality, the which, victim actually mentality kind of which actually comes from the government. Like a, but also, ref, also the parallel with the idea of a safe space, right? That, that, yeah, that, yeah. that you're under threat, well, that, well, that, you are, that you are constantly under threat. But there's a difference here that, you know, their reaction is not to create a safe space, but their reaction mm. is actually to destroy what they see as the threat, which would be, you know, the Western media or, or basically, you know, if you think the world is against China, then you lash out at the world. The world yeah. And um, uh, you have them, and, and, and they, I, I believe, though not directly controlled by the government, they're, they're certainly uh, encouraged, and, and th- um, this victim mentality is, is fostered in China through national and patriotic education, which came in in 1991, which we can talk about later, mm. huge su- subject. And the third area is, is these sort of people who are in between, who who actually do work for the government, who are paid for posts. Mm. And these are the Wu Mao. So these are people who, and, and there's, again, hundreds of thousands of these people. So they're paid 50 cents, half a yuan, for, for leaving a, um, a post o- online. And, um, yeah, it's, it's I, I mean, it's bizarre because when I go and meet with, with, with people, I, I met with some some editors at a you know a pretty major international journal um, about two months ago, and uh, we were chatting, and I was talking about you know sort of receiving threats and receiving all of this this trolling, mm-hmm. and you know they were sort of saying, oh well, you know that anyone anyone on our China desk or anyone who who has any connection at all with reporting in China receives thousands of these messages every single day you know it's just really hate mail and um, they just they just get it and they know it's government sponsored they know it, you know this, this is and, and it's, it's bizarre you know on the one hand you have China sort of sitting there saying why does China not have any you know why why does it punch below its weight when it comes to soft power why do countries not like us but then at the same time you're promoting this this agenda, uh, well, this narrative, where you see your country and your people as victims of everyone else. You lash out and you encourage your people to lash out at everyone else. You know, if if um, if you woke up every day and your email uh, was was jam full full of people saying nasty things about you and saying, you know, giving this almost you know, neo-Nazi kind of um, line of, you know, when it comes to sort of Chinese nationalism, are you going to... Do you mean fascist then when you yeah, say neo-Nazi? Well, well I, I mean extreme nationalism. Okay, extreme nationalism. Extreme nationalism. nationalism. Are, are you going to look favourably on China? I, I mean, right. it's just, you know, no other country does that. You know, you, you don't go to France, report on France, and then, you know, because you're a France correspondent, you receive thousands of messages, you know, um, they literally receive thousands, like hundreds of thousands of messages. They, you, they, they, you, well, you they, personally they, also the, the China desks will, yeah, receive thousands of messages a day, you know, at, at international papers. Just, just, you know, uh, you, you look at, you know, you go on to, on to uh, um, any international paper and you look at the comments section 
of anything that's reported on China, and you will get a whole lot of, you know, nationalistic. Uh, again, this is what they call them, these fifty censors. And what's very sad about this, and I wrote actually the the last piece I wrote was um, um, called uh, "My Friend the Fifty Center," and you know what's happened to sort of moderation in in Hong Kong politics. And and in that piece, I actually say, you know, one of the really sad things is by doing this, uh, even people who who let's say are sympathetic to China's cause um, get labelled as being fifty centers uh, because you know the the dialogue um, or the discussion has uh, well the, the moderation has been gutted. Well, it's so murky as well because you have all these different forces coming in, so there's no real clear true. It becomes murky. Is the yeah, best yeah. I can describe it, and so you don't know whom you're talking with, and that's part of the the issue with the internet. I mean, it's phenomenal. Technology is great. Like we're doing this now. Like I this mean, is great. I mean, I don't. I, but the I, water gets. But the water gets. So m- people are anonymous, and you don't necessarily know yeah. what they're thinking, and you don't know whom you're talking to, and whether there's any value in even expressing it to this person or this entity, and people can. And this but, is where cyber attacks come in. But I think it's just so sad because. Mm-hmm. It, 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 you know, I, I don't, um, I, unless someone tells me to read one specific comment, I, right. I don't read any of this. And, you know, the sad thing is that there are a lot of people who, again, like my friend, who have very legitimate points to, to make, um, who may leave messages, who may leave comments that, you know, people should consider. And uh, um, you know, even from the pro-establishment line, from the pro-China, from the pro-China, on the pro-China line, but they get immediately dismissed as being a fifty center because, um, you know, argument is lost. People no longer are looking for a point. They're no longer looking to sort of reason. They're they're just looking at, you know, what is your position? Is your position mine or not mine? And if it's not mine, then. Um, so this refers back to, to to tribalism. Yeah, with, you know, and and, 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 so, and, and this but, but the very sad thing, and I think again, this mm. is where Hong Kong has changed. You know, Hong Kong didn't have democracy before, but we had um, we had our own, in some ways, quite unique little political system, where you had different interest groups. The big political interest groups of Hong Kong before nineteen ninety seven was, um, you, you know, you had. Um, Hong Kong people who identified with communist China, who mm. who identified with the China line. Um, so you had, you know, to me the 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 best proponent of that was um, Zhang Yuxing, um, who mm. you know became president of Legco, who's now been, by the way, sidelined um, from from any official position because he gave the opposition time to speak. So Zhang Yuxing is a politician, and LegCo is the legis- legislative council, which is essentially our governing parliament. body. It's like our parliament yeah, in some ways, yeah. uh, but it, it has no power. But uh, well, I mean, <laughs> really, but 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 the thing is, it's um, mm-hmm. you know, in colonial times, you had a governor, you know, you had mm-hmm. you you uh, um, Hong Kong wasn't democratic but 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 the point was you could have different views that were expressed and and i always remember um when i was a a child there was there was a 
I, I used to have sort of guests who would come over to see my dad and uh, I remember one time going up to someone and I I just remember his, his name was David and um, I came over to him and I said to him I said I said oh are you from the bank or are you f-? and he said he says no I, I, I'm not from the bank I'm from government and I said government what do you do in government and I remember him sort of telling a, a very young me he said he said well what we do in government is we listen because you must never think that you know what other people want so when you have you know when, when you when you have the power to to govern uh, or the responsibility to govern a place um, what you have to do is you have to listen and you have to you have to listen to all the different people and you have to try and find a way that would allow all those different people to feel that they are satisfied with their life and they can continue living. So it's all about balancing things. It's about listening and balancing. How, and old, sure, how old were you? I, I was about eight, I think. That's, that's about right for Evan. Yeah, and, <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I, I wrote to The Economist when I was about 13. So. <laughs> anyway, either, either I, part of me grew up too quickly and the other part of me, I think, that still hasn't fully grown up. This is what this is what the thirties are all about, though. Yes, it, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, re- it really. I, I, I actually say that you know that's my definition of maturity, and, and that is when you you're, you're only mature when you when you kind of no no longer think about acting mature when you're when you're perfectly happy to do the things you enjoyed as a child and and not feel that they're immature. Then you know, then you know you've kind of grown up. It well, doesn't that, really matter. Mm, so, yeah. There's a whole there's a whole Jungian thing on that, but we'll 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 save that Go for another for that, time. Uh, no, we'll yeah. we'll save that for another time. I just wanted to loop back to something that we talked about earlier, though. Was you you because you wrote in <clears throat> back to the BBC thing because mm. it, it it does tie in with what we're talking about. You've got quite a few because I I was reading after I watched the video, which it kind of went viral. I mean, a lot of people watched it, um, and you know, I watched I read some of the posts. So you know you get some people that you know shit post, which yeah, is you know, you, and, yeah, and you and you get and you get people that are you maybe you maybe there's some woomahs in there, but yeah. there's a lot of genuine people. And actually, I found some people that I actually knew. Yeah, I, I was kind of I was like, oh, okay, great. They're they're t- commenting and on, on 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 multiple sides of it. You know, some people mm. be like, well then, well then go if you don't care, mm. right? And then someone would reply, but well actually, I think you've missed the point. It's not that he wants to leave or he doesn't care. It's more about the shifting landscape and the lack of discourse and honest discourse on this shifting landscape and the marginalization of people of of my identity i mean i, I which is which is which is unfair I, I i don't describe it as leaving hong kong i actually describe it as a form of exile you know and and in in and many is, ways it might seem is, does that does seem dramatic does, that, does seem, that seem a bit i mean no, no i don't think it does i mean you know okay. Ed, edward said um you know, wrote 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 a, a, a very good essay on on you know exile and all the different forms of exile. In particular, obviously looking at um, you, you know sort of Palestinian and um, you know and sort of Middle Eastern um, intellectual exiles. Now, it's not as though they were pushed out. It's not as though they were forced out by 
um, you know, by an unfriendly government. The, the fact was the environment in which they lived in no longer um, represented their values and no longer sort of sustained their, I, I suppose, sustained their 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 um, their intellectual self. They felt they could no longer be intellectually honest where they were staying there you know they it, it was so sad i think for a lot of palestinians to remain in palestine and they felt they had to leave palestine mm. um go somewhere else where they had the freedom to talk about it uh and where they you know they felt their country could sort of com- could could continue in its diaspora of intellectuals who went all all aboard i mean you know saeed makes a very good point that um, well, not point, but the observation that actually a lot of our our progress, a lot of intellectual change um, that has happened in history has actually been driven by people who who have been in exile. Mm. Um, so, so you know, I, I see myself as realizing that if I stay in Hong Kong, um, I will basically stay with. I, I I will I, you know I I will stay in my one home uh, as honestly and I think a lot of people feel this way as we see our home die and uh, you know what happened to me when when I got hit by you know quite badly by depression after after the uh, not not after Occupy but uh, about a year after Occupy having gone through the reaction to Occupy, having just set up Hong Kong Free Press and having been put under a huge amount of stress, um, seeing people who I had grown up with, who I had called uncles, you know, people who I thought loved me for who I, I, I am and, you know, who also love my family. And um, these are people who came up to me and said, said, oh, um, remember you are only a guest here and you have no right to to comment or or say anything or hold any opinion on china because of your ethnic because because i'm because i'm mixed and i turned around to them and i said i said but my parents have you know my family have been in hong kong i'm i'm the fifth generation we've been here you know three generations longer than you have four generations longer than you have um and you're saying that I can't consider this place home? You, you know, goodness me. I, I mean, again, that sort of sense of betrayal, that sense of, um, you, you know, people you thought... I, I, I remember when Occupy happened and um, a few days afterwards I, I bumped into a... This this elderly Tai Tai, a Tai Tai is a, a lady who doesn't work, a lady of leisure, and uh, you know she uh, she's a friend of my mother's, and she she saw me sort of outside, you know, outside the cricket club, and she said, you know, she came over to me and and um, she she just came over and she started talking to me about being at Occupy, and she was there on on the first day as as Josh and I were. And she suddenly broke down and started crying. And, um, you know, this this lady, she's she's Chinese, you know, grew up in Hong Kong. I think she was born in Hong Kong too. She's in her, in her probably early 70s. 
Um, oh, wow. And and she told me, she said, you know, on the day when they fired the tear gas and things, and I was so afraid and I ran into the club. Uh, you know, I, I ran away and I ran into the club and I, I ran over to, you know, my friends, my social group. And these are people who, you know, I see like every other day and I play tennis with and, you know, I've known all my life, sort of grew up together with. And I told them, I said, I said, you know, what's happening is really wrong. You know, I, I, they even, they even shot tear gas canisters, you know, in my direction. I mean, I'm an old lady, you know, it, it's not like they, they only did that because the students were being aggressive. And she said, these people, her friends, literally turned away as though they, they, they just didn't see her. They didn't hear her. They, you know, you know they, they lived in their own bubble and they placed the preservation of their own little bubble above that of someone who had been a lifelong friend. They receded into their own safe space. They receded into their own safe space. And, and I, I find that um, shocking. I find that, um, you know, emotionally very difficult to take. And I, I had so many experiences, uh, you know, of people. I, I, received, uh, I received hate mail. I then told you know a, a a sort of distant relative of mine who I who I happened to you know my parents were out of Hong Kong at the time and I told a distant relative of mine I sort of said I said you know I'm you know I know it's all silly and all of this but you know some of this es- ethnic stuff and um you know it's really hate mail and it's it's quite hurtful and um I you know what I told her I said you know what I actually find most hurtful is is not what's being said but in the back of my mind is two other messages one that those people who are saying this are very likely being paid for by my government and secondly that I'm also being told that I have to love my government I have to love the nation and love the party and the and they are paying for this type of abuse and um, I, I you know, I told this this relative, and expecting her to sort of say, "Oh, you know, yeah, those people who say those sort of things, you know, they're awful people. Just ignore it." Her response was, "I'm not interested in politics." And and I, you know, I turned around and I was like, "It's not politics. What I'm what I'm saying is someone is, you know, racially abusing, racially abusing someone you say you love." And then, you know, her response was, "Oh, you're sick, Evan." Because you had depression. Because 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 re- because, because I I at the time I'd recovered from, but because I, you know, had recovered from a depression. So she turned around and said, "Oh, it's okay. I understand. You're sick." You know, I mean, where in what other country? Jeez. You you imagine being in the U.S. and receiving, you know, really nasty racial abuse. You know, not just sort of, you know, go home, you don't belong here in this, but, you know, really awful racial, racial abuse, calling your mother a prostitute because, because, you know, and, and your family because they're Eurasian, because they're mixed there, you know, they're just a line of prostitute and blood traitors and all of this. You receiving this 
and you bring this up to your own relatives who are themselves Eurasian and say, this is really nasty stuff. And they turn around to you and say, basically, I didn't see that. I'll imagine none of this is happening. And um, it's your problem. You're the one who's sick. You know, it's... it's we we you know we talk about wanting discourse and yet at the same time there's a large contingent that feel this way that this don't want to engage but but, but sorry 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 but my, my so i sorry I I, yeah. I I i totally understand your point about it wasn't about politics it was purely about you're supposed to, i thought i thought we were close and yet somehow you have allowed this to cut me out, and actually, you wrote a really great article on that, so I'll mm. I'll, I can, I'll link I'll link that there. Um, but I, I did want it, this just kind of triggered something that we were talking about earlier: the idea of wanting discourse and ideas, mm. and yet not everyone wants it at the same time. And so you have you have people that want to talk about it, you have people that are afraid to talk about it, you have people that simply don't want to talk about it because they want their bubble, and you have institutions that have egos and need to need to need to hold on to whatever control they can it's such a messy marketplace of thought i don't even know where i'm going with this but this is just what i've simply observed based on what we've talked about can you jump in on this one yeah well i i mean i think you know maybe really to try and hit the nail on the head um in in 2014 i lost faith in Institutions such as the police. I still have faith in in Hong Kong's judiciary, but I feel that Hong Kong's judiciary is under sustained pressure, sustained challenge, and I think it's a matter of time before there are cracks there, and it's a matter of time before it cracks fully. You know, the the police force um, they came out and they made statements, and I will stand by this that were dishonest, um, and. What again was so worrying is that uh, the you know you look at these institutions. I know in the past, I there are many people I know who are, are you know retired or who are, are even now still serving in the police. And I I've, I I know certainly how after ninety seven, um, certainly senior positions in in the police force in Hong Kong, it's all become very political. Um, you know, and and I mean, Christine Lowe also wrote a wonderful book about you know the, how the Communist Party basically sort of infiltrated Hong Kong a long time ago, and what you're seeing really are are you know sort of sort of um, people who are in the pocket um, of the party who are sort of secret Communist Party um, CCP uh, members who in effect. Um, are in all the senior positions or moving towards all the senior positions, holding all those senior positions in our in our academic institutions, in our in our police force, and again these core institutions that at one time had really sort of made or made Hong Kong different to China. Now coming back to that whole thing about you know people wanting to break down the discourse. Uh, this is where I think there's a big difference. In in the past, Hong Kong had uh, it didn't it wasn't democratic, but there was a discourse. There was always a discourse between different Chinese factions. 
those who supported the communists, those who supported the KMT, different factions between people who had urban interests, people who had rural interests. Um, so, you know, our, our government, basically, in order to govern, had to listen to all of these different sides, all of these different positions, and try and sort of balance out, um, you know, keep, keep everyone somewhat satisfied. Uh, what, you've ha- what you've seen now is essentially um, the government takes one position, and that position is the position of the pro-Beijing side, all of that other discourse has been shut down. Um, in 1997, in, in Hong Kong, if you look at local papers, there were over 20 local papers publishing a wide variety of, of different views, representing different, you know, representing the different Chinese communities. Uh, you know, people from different areas of China, people who who identified more with Taiwan, who identified more, again, with the CCP, or who identified with a particular faction in the CCP. What you've now seen is basically all of them have been bought or shut, or the only ones that exist now really are those that are, are CCP. Um, you know, Ming Pao, Hong Kong Economic Journal are still somewhat separate, but again, there's ownership issues there. Hmm. You know, you've seen a very obvious shift. Um, SCMP is owned by Jack Ma. SCMP is now owned by Jack Ma. Um, you know, and and again, it's not to be critical of SCMP. I, I know, like, when we set up Hong Kong Free Press, and and, and actually, I, I know, I know, Tom Grundy won't mind me saying this, but you know, I think one of the things which which um, was was a bit of a, a sticking point between us when we set up was. Um, you know, Tom always had a, a little bit of an anti-SCMP line, and you know, my view was always Hong Kong Free Press complements the SCMP, mm. and mm. you know, all newspapers have their problems, and right. and, um, and so, you know, so- I, and and again, Tom really wouldn't mind me saying this. I know Tom is, certainly regrets some of the things he said when when we set up, um, you know, but I think the overall picture of of the the media landscape in in Hong Kong is pretty dim. It's pretty dire. I think the again, it, it's not to say I'm condemning the police force, but the level of trust in the police force within the community now has broken, and it's very dire, uh, especially amongst the young, which surely are the most critical set of people you need to have trust with well the youth are the ones that are typically stopped the most by the police anyway like you you see that on a daily basis and that's always been common practice out here anyway but you're right they are the ones that are engaged by far the most in the in the communities and they're the ones that are not on side yeah but you know it's not just about stop and search um you know one thing to to bear in mind hong kong is one of the most policed um places on earth there's there's you know more policemen you know per per but this is also another reason why we are i mean maybe that's not maybe that's not but, accurate but but we are also consider one of the safest cities in the world well i i actually i mean in terms I, of I, your, your, your everyday would, life i'm not talking yeah, about you know political thought or whatever but i'm talking about generally your day-to-day life well what what, what i safe. what i would say is is when i did interviews with with people who who grew up in certain rough um, public housing estates in Mahan Chan, hmm. they would definitely not say that. Well, I mean, I, mean the, I think the point is there's, 
there there is a lot of crime in Hong Kong. There is a lot of violence, um, but the violence tends to be uh, it tends to be pockets. It tends to it, it it tends to affect certain people. But you know, if if you grow up grow up in in a sort of a middle class area or, or a wealthy area, if you if you look Western, then you you you're not they leave you alone so 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 we grew up and, and we're not affected by that but you know if i think of like my wife um one of the things i always thought was surprising was that when we were when we were going out she always would say uh oh you, you, you know i would walk her home and then and then she would say oh you know you have to come up on the lift and, and you know literally take me back and uh, um, I, you know, I don't want to be alone after eleven o'clock. And I'm like, but you know, Hong Kong's really safe. I mean, you know, this sounds like the type of thing you hear, you know, if you're in a really rough part of London. And um, you know, and then she sort of turns around. And she goes, no, you, you know, because people, you know, people are raped in corridors, on on in in stairwells, in lifts, and things in Hong Kong. Um, None of those stories get picked up by the SCMP because because it's just it's another community. I mean, literally in 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 Hong Kong, I think you have you have communities that are very very divided that are very separated. So I think overall Hong Kong is a safe city. But I, I'm all I'm really trying to say is that it's not as it's not quite as safe as we think. And the reason why Hong Kong is so policed, of course, has nothing to do with that. It's to, it's a historic colonial legacy. And Hong Kong was always highly policed because, um, you know, after '67, you you had what was happening in China. It, it, uh, so, so for some context, in 1967, we had a we had massive riots and protests, and they were the leftist protests. This was a pro uh, pro China camp it, that they the, had a massive uh, riots, and their goal, as I understand it, was to in an attempt to basically overthrow the colonial government that was here. And it was massive. It was large scale, extremely bloody. Bloody lasted for a relatively prolonged period of time. And if you, well, I wouldn't compare that with the umbrella, with the uh, with the with the other thing. But anyway, but to provide you for context, excuse me, I rambled a bit there. That is what what Evans referred well, I'll, to. I'll, I'll just add a please, few please. things. Please, please. It, 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 it yeah. was hello. <laughs> 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 yeah, but you know, it was it was um, the the sixty seven riots were triggered by the. By the the uh, social issues, by by actually the Star Ferry, which is the ferry that goes across from Hong Kong Island to Kowloon, raising their fare. Which is so, actually, by the way, something that is uh, referred to as one of the one hundred things that people must do before they die. It's one of the one of the things. Oh, really? That, to go yeah, on yeah like, like, it, it, it is. It's appeared on quite a few lists. Yeah. It, it is phenomenal, but uh, how history anyway. has changed. Anyway, go on. Sorry. And and um, so so there was a social trigger, but basically what happened was. Um, you know, it was there was the Cultural Revolution happening in in China at the time, and uh, the you know I guess the 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 local cadres in Guangdong thought it was a good idea to sort of um, support an uprising in Hong Kong. Guangdong so, is the southern province that is basically well, that, Hong Kong it, would be it, a part it of borders Hong Kong, really. it borders onto onto Hong Kong. So Hong yeah, Kong yeah. was part, yeah, yeah, and Cantonese, and um, so 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 people came across the border. Um, people were, you know, arms. So you had weapons that were supplied by the communists. Uh, I, and 
you know, I'm saying all these things about the communists. I'm not anti-communist, but just stating the fact. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so the whole thing, it wasn't a, yeah. a locally um, inspired uprising. There were there was local discontent, uh, discontent over, over obviously over sort of social issues, and uh, but the whole thing was basically manufactured by by the CCP. In actual fact, it stopped when when the CCP called it off so 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 you, you know what? yeah it just stopped and that was actually the only time that tear gas and the riot police were used in hong kong you know by the colonial government uh, and you know this was a time when bombs were being thrown people were being killed uh, the uh, police station uh, out uh, in in uh, close to the border was surrounded by Villages, armed villages, policemen were were yeah you know were shot and killed. Were um, it, it was it was pretty you know really really um, dire dire you know it was, yeah. it was it was dangerous times. And in in that circumstance, you can sort of understand the police deploying riot police, or well, the government deploying riot police and tear gas being used now. So this you know, to sounds- compare it with with. Occupy and the umbrella, the you know the umbrella movements is is, you know it's comparing chalk and cheese. It's well, the, totally different. Well, the well the thing is the umbrella movement was actually and this is the world saw this like it's on news like you guys can check. But basically, it's generally the consensus as I see it. And having walked through the the spaces, um, I think as we both experienced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was essentially a masterclass in civil disobedience in terms of how you organize yourself as a large group. Um, there were you know. Uh, the, uh, you know, people were talking about making sure we were recycling everything. They were trying to like everyone was kind to everyone. Generally, as you walk through, there were different marketplaces. That I, I'm calling. It, I'm referring to it as a marketplace of ideas. There were different people standing so, in different so people corners, giving tea, giving lectures on and different education. Classes. And you had intellectuals coming. You had everybody coming up and talking and having this discourse there in this in this marketplace. And that took place instead of instead of uh, uh, violence. What was interesting uh, was the violence. The the the, yeah. the times when there was violence, it was actually introduced. And you know, and I saw this, you know, very clearly. It was it was introduced right. by, you know, the the I hate to say the blue ribbon by the pro-China, supposedly pro-police, pro-law and order uh, protesters. When when. It, um, well, organized crime triads were, were brought in from other parts of Hong Kong That's a into, whole the, other into the protest yeah. area to, to cause trouble. And, um, it, it's yeah, like, it, it was really... You know, and I, I still remember that day, the, the day that it, like, you know, when the tear gas, you know, you know got kicked, you know, were fired. Um, gosh, it's just kind of... Oh, I haven't thought about it, like, properly, like, thinking back to that day in ages, it's... Ew. But, um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, the reason why I think another, another reason why a lot of people came out, it wasn't about being independent or democracy or just the idea of uh, universe, of suffrage. Because fundamentally mm. that was the main, the sticking point was that. Yeah, genuine universal suffrage. Right, right, but... you, right. You, you referred to, you know, it's like, yeah. it's like, no, 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 we were promised that at this point we would be mm. able to genuinely vote our own leaders. And now you, it's the system, now the system that you're proposing, which was based on a treaty that was, was a joint treaty. Well, it, it wasn't, it wasn't. Mm. Really promise, but that's okay. Uh, sorry, that's, sorry. Can... that's fine. We, we can we can drill out. But the, the the picture I'm painting here is that like that is 
that was a part of it. But I felt a lot of people struggled with the idea. And I think as someone that works with, it, works with, with students in, edu in education is that you have young people trying to express an idea, trying to share something that's... It, it well, would, well I, can, I can share the story of why, why I went down. Well, and, uh, let me just share mine real yeah. quick. But it was more the fact that I thought it was... It, people moved out... I feel in a show of solidarity. Absolutely. And it was more about it was like no 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 no. We can all disagree with each other here. Yeah. But but this this kind of stuff is not okay. You don't That's you, right. you yeah. don't get to come out here and decide that we don't want to hear what you have mm -hmm. to say and retaliate in such a way. Now, you know, I want I you were were you there on the front lines when it first happened cuz the, the the idea was that the, the thought the um, as I understand it the students were there initially they had pushed like it, it, mm. it, there was there was a it wasn't it was like it, it wasn't like there wasn't any initiation or instigation mm. from from the students that were protesting like there was something there but it was it was that the the proportionate uh, response I guess yeah well I, I mean there's, there's there's a couple of things to bear in mind first mm. of all that the students were pushing to enter a place called Civic Square which was built specifically for people in Hong Kong to gather in order to 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 protest or to you know to let the government know what was going on um, however the government built it and then you know, the, the students went there and said, we don't want national education a few years before in a mm. protest. And then after that, the government closed the square off. So actually, the reason why they were pushing was, you know, they were sort of saying, well, we want to enter the square that is supposed to be where we're supposed to go. And secondly, the, the main student group, Scholarism, was actually founded in that square um, in in a pre in the previous protest, so so that was very much their home. That was their HQ, their base, and um, I think echoing what Josh said, absolutely. I, I don't think it was high principles, high ideals of universal suffrage. I think I think almost everyone in Hong Kong, you know, would like that, but it didn't. It, it wasn't that which got them on the streets. I mean, my story was I I, I was asked by you know the 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 organizers of occupy a long time before you know they they said originally it was only going to be um you know a very small limited uh demonstration of 10,000 people uh um a select that's um, still a lot of people uh, yeah well well um you know it was going to be a select group of people who would stay there just for one day and i i, I was asked you know whether I'd like to go, and I the whole time I said I don't want to join, I don't want to be part of this. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You know, I listened to what they said on the balance of things. I said, you know, I support their position. I, I, you know, they they didn't say let's go protest. They said, you know, we want to give the government ten steps to engage with the people, uh, and only the tenth step if they failed to engage in all nine previous steps would you know would there be an occupation and that occupation would originally was only going to be for for one day and everyone was going to clear off and um what happened was was wasn't occupy central with love and peace it was the birth of something else called the um, umbrella movement and and i remember sort of sitting at home that weekend and um i got suddenly started getting all these messages saying 
saying, oh, you've you got to see what's happening on television. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, lots of little sort of videos and things on my phone. And, and the students who had, had gone to LegCo, they, um, they had tried to enter Civic Square, which had been closed off. And on the, on the Saturday night, the, um, some of those who had, who had climbed over a fence and got into Civic Square, so it was a handful of you know, maybe 30 students and had, had basically formed a ring and were sort of saying, you know, we want to stay. The police were going in there and you had, you know, fully armed police in riot gear. And these students were not fighting back or doing anything. And they were being manhandled really, you know, in quite a rough way. Now, internationally, those images, you know, they may not look particularly bad, but Hong Kong is a pretty, you know, Mm. I think it's a pretty wimpy place, you know, I I think (laughs) overall, you know, and... I remember looking at this and sort of saying, you know, this doesn't look right. No, My parents were in the yeah. UK at the time. They phoned me up and they said, they said, uh, I remember my mum was crying and my mum said, I'm seeing these images. Uh, you have to go there. And I said, but, you know, I, I said, I, you know, I thought you said I shouldn't go. And, and, and my mum said, no, no, you just go along there. Um, you know, because this isn't what we do in Hong Kong. This isn't the way the police handle people in Hong Kong. We are, again, a very, you know, very... Um, uh, you, wimpy was the word you used. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I, I no, would no, consider myself as wimpy no, I, as well. I know, I know. And, and, and I don't think you meant it derogatorily yeah. per se, but it's more the fact that we don't... We don't engage in in physical contact, large physical massive aggressive. movement. We're not that's you know aggressive. Yeah, we're that, not that's right. aggressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 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 I got that. I got a phone call from my sister. I got a phone call from my relatives in the US who were sort of, you know, seeing what was happening. They were all crying and they were saying, you know, what's going on? And I always remember. I'll always remember this. My mum said said, oh, you you have to go down there. You know, go down there. Um, you know, first thing tomorrow morning because. If you go down there, you know, bearing in mind if Hong Kong is a wimpy place, I'm the wimpiest of the wimpiest, right? So, so my mum actually just sort of said, look, if, if you're there, you know, and you're kind of visible, then the police are not going to do anything stupid. You know, they're, they're, there's no way they're going to do something stupid with, with Evan and his glasses on and his little notebook standing there with his, with his shorts and um, messy hair, you know, uh, I mean, you know, I wouldn't be able to threaten a squirrel, let alone a policeman. And um, so she told me to go down there and I, I stood on, you know, stood there in a quite a visible position, totally taking notes. And um, it still happened. And 24 hours later, I was, uh, well, a little more than 24 hours later, I was calling my mum sort of saying, saying, um, you know, I did go down there, and you know what happened. They still, they still did it, and and I think seventy to eighty percent of the people who were down there uh, went down there just as as Josh was saying, really as an act of solidarity uh, to 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 basically send a message to the government that it's not about politics. You know, just mm. this type of behaviour is just not on. It's not. This is not Hong Kong. And what was so disappointing was no one from the government came out to address the people. No one, you know, there was no leadership shown at all. It was just police deployed, 
attempts to clear the streets. It was, it was, there was, you, you know, it was um, atrociously handled. And yeah, and um, it, I mean, if you want to know again, sort of how pacific people are in Hong Kong, there was that experience Josh and I had Where that evening when. Mm. Right uh, at the end, so this was maybe three three o'clock in the morning, uh, two or three o'clock in the morning. We we walked um, away from the protest and we mm. went into a Seven Eleven, which was full of people, full of you know all of these protesters, uh, all of them you know obviously very proud, you know very sensitive to sort of their Hong Kong mm. identity, mm. and getting drinks and things. And and Josh and I were in a line, and there were these two two young Frenchmen who I guess were sort of in their late twenties, early thirties. Uh, yes. <laughs> Look, they looked looked as though you know the the sort of um, executive expat types, mm. and they were talking to the the the, the lady behind the counter at Seven Eleven in Mandarin, and she had no idea what they were saying. So she was trying to sort of tell them that that oh can you speak Cantonese which is the local language or can you speak some English I speak a bit of English now now these two Frenchmen obviously spoke English but they refused to speak English to her and you know we're all standing there in line Josh and I are like you know there waiting and everyone's getting a bit fed up and um, I, I, I kind of lose my call first and I go over and you know I say I say well can't you speak to them in in Cantonese, if you want, um, you, you know, I can. I'll speak to them in Cantonese for you. And then they turned around to me and they sort of said, you know, as though as though they they were, you know, in a really sort of patronising, mm. derogatory way. That you know, they were sort of like, I'm speaking their, you know, I'm speaking the 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 local language. I'm speaking Chinese to them. You know, so she she knows what I'm saying. And then I was like, no, but you're speaking. Putonghua, Mandarin, you know, you're not mm. speaking Cantonese, you're not speaking the local language. And, you know, th- this lady was like, this, the shop lady was talking to me in Cantonese, sort of yeah. like, you know, trying to sort of explain the situation. And then these people turned around and said, I, um, well, I'm speaking Chinese to them, you know, not like you colonial people who, who, who just mm. want to speak English. Um, which is ironic because I, I told because speak, Cantonese well, to the lady, yeah, yeah and I was speaking yeah, 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 and, yeah. and then I and I I'd yeah. offered to speak Cantonese to the lady for them and then and then and then they said they said oh and um, Cantonese is a is a filthy language it's a dirty language I don't want to speak it anyway you know um, uh, I, I'm I you know I I think it's filthy and and these people you know they just kind of left and I remember sort of turning around because I, I was sort of you know, quite upset that they'd sort of said that. And uh, the next thing I felt was Josh, I think, hugging me from behind. Oh, it's okay. And well, because well, you seemed really upset, I, and I didn't want... Because we were clearly really yeah, emotional from everything that from, had from, just from, happened. From, from it just happened. Yeah. And I remember turning around, and there was... Again, the whole Seven Eleven was full full of Cantonese Chinese people yeah. who were just young Cantonese Chinese people who just come off this protest, yeah. and they were all staring at us, right. and they were all, you know, had watched this whole situation. Mm. I was thinking, in any other country in the world, you know, I will say these two French assholes <laughs> would have would have got the shit kicked out of them. They really would have got the shit kicked out of them. You know, I, I mean, you imagine going to France and saying, "I don't want to speak French; it's a dirty language." Mm-hmm. And we were at a protest. Where you could have a Seven Eleven 
just off the protest site, full, jam-packed full of protesters, with two drunk foreigners saying that the language of the protesters is dirty, filthy, I don't like it, I don't want to speak it. She should, the shopkeeper should, should speak Chinese. You, you imagine, you know, just, just, just imagine how restrained, yeah. you know, I said wimpy. Hong I Kong, was going to say... Hong Kong people don't fight. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, it, it, that incident was, yeah, I still remember that very vividly. Because I, I felt, it, it was so surreal. Yeah. Because we were just, like, just, just a few blocks away, there was tear gas. That's right. Yeah. There were tear gas, and there were people that were were, were choking and, and and trying to run, but not trample over any. Like it's just the way it was all dealt with. Like I never felt. I've never been in such a large crowd. Like in Hong Kong, there are large crowds everywhere, and we can always feel alone in a large crowd. But but in that moment, I felt, no matter what you what I believed in, that I was you know in that group, I felt there was a sense of community. Absolutely. You, you felt actually part of a whole. It's, it was almost as though all of those people were friends, were people we knew, who, who shared some instinctive connection with. And, and it is an instinctive connection. But what I also liked about it was there was a level, still a level of tolerance. Uh, shared values. Shared value, but also a level of tolerance to... to the idea, so for the idea of having these little pockets of occupied areas where people mm. could have discussions, people people that pro this were against this. Yep. Everyone was able to come out and say their piece. Like all you had to do was be willing to go up and grab a mic, and you would have people that would try to moderate. Like I witnessed some of this stuff. People would try to moderate. Mm. Right? You've had you had Chinese university professors coming down, yeah. talking about these things. Other intellectuals coming through. People that had little shop corners that had their businesses marginalized because of the protests, they came out and they shared their piece as well. Mm. And then what would happen? Like I remember in this because this spread. This was in Mong Kok as well, if I'm right. Mm. And there were businesses there that were hurt by this because they lost a lot of foot traffic. So some of the protesters decided to create little maps yeah. to, to to pass out to people like, hey, please go support these little shops because 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 we feel we need to make the stand and it's hurting these businesses. And we don't want to do that. Can we please support them as well? Just there's so much thoughtfulness that yeah. went into it. E- even if you disagree with how it began or or, yeah. or, or fundamentally yeah. what they're about, you cannot deny the discourse and how it went down and how they organized or how at least a, a large enough portion of them, if you and organize themselves. And to and in a way that was 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 thoughtful, and tolerant, even though fully understanding that a protest by definition means you're taking a stand against something. It's just it it it's just there's just so much just so much to digest and unpack in that one experience. I mean, I have people, I have friends that were visiting that walked through like it was safe enough mm. where you just walk through with a camera and just take pictures and whatnot you know when there weren't any 
tussles or anything or whatever. Well, it's not, it's to... not even safe. It, you know, you walk through with a camera, people would invite you into their tent. And said, so, so, do you want to talk to yeah, us about yeah, stuff? Yeah. Where are you from? Do you want to talk? You love a lot and, of that. And the thing that impressed me so much was, I, I mean, I remember when, when the, you know, these, you know, sort of the anti-occupy, the, you right. know, the, the supposedly pro-police people, mm. um, at some of the, you know, when they showed up and they were sort of, um, you know, shouting matches and things. What 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 I found so amazing was, uh, I remember on on one occasion in in Mong Kok, and also also one time when the bailiffs came in right at the end. I, I remember there were people from the Occupy who were going out to these people and sort of saying, "Can we just sit down and talk about this? Yeah. Can we, you know, let's let's talk about our our, our difference of view." They yeah. didn't go there and you know, one person shouting names at you and they turn around and shout names back. They actually went over and sort of said, you know, let's stop the name calling. You know, let's sit down and talk about this. Let, let's actually discuss this. You know, they were actually, were they really protesting about universal suffrage or were they protesting because there was no dialogue with the government? They actually, you know, they were practicing what, what they preached. They wanted to have a dialogue with the government. And... Which is an extent, and voting is speech. Yes, yeah. And to not, and, and this is, it, it is an infringement upon that. To f- there is that sensation. Because I remember I had this discussion with actually another, another teacher who, who said, I, I disagree with what the students are doing. Said, and she said that there, well, there are other ways that they can speak and share and communicate mm. with the government. And I said, so what should they do? But all of them had failed. Well, but but I, I said I said I said so so what should they do to be listened and elicit a response? Yes, yeah. And the yeah. silence we have now is exactly the silence that I heard then. Is, well, and because and and uh, well, the, you know, the sad thing is to understand these protests again. Remember the the protests were really. Um, you know, the, even the decision for civil disobedience by Occupy Central mm. was the tenth stage. They had nine stages before that where they actually laid out to the government, we can have a dialogue in this way, we can have a dialogue in this way, we can have a dialogue in that way. I need way. to find these ten steps. Yeah, so so there, were, there were ten steps and they still failed. I think what really upset Hong Kong people so much, you know, it, it wasn't that, oh, you promised us... Um, you know, universal suffrage. You promised us these things, and you're not giving it to us. I think what really upset most people was the fact that, you know, the the government basically came up with a reform package that didn't reflect what the people wanted in any way. And if they had said, "Look, this is you know for for the looking at China and looking at the the overall context of the nation." This is the best we can do. I think Hong Kong people would have been fine with mm. it. But what the government did was they said, we are giving you exactly what you want. We have listened to you. You should thank us so much. Look how wonderful the government is and wonderful the Communist Party is for giving Hong Kong democracy that it, in, that it never had. And you're sort of sitting there. I mean, you know, I remember telling a, a journalist, I think it was from, from Russian television, you know, I said it's the equivalent of going into a restaurant and, you know, ordering a dish and someone coming over and, you know, let's say you, you, you order a, you know, a bowl of pasta and the person comes along and serves you a ham, a ham sandwich and says, 
now, now you've got exactly what you ordered, exactly what you want. Aren't we so wonderful? You know, you, you have to give us a five out of five review and, you, you know, uh, um, thank us so much for giving you just what you wanted. And when you turn around and say, well, excuse me, sir, um, actually, I, I ordered a pasta. Rather than maybe turning around and saying, well, you know, unfortunately, we're out of pasta. This is the only thing we've got. This is the only thing the kitchen can whip up. If the restaurant then turned around to you and said, how ungrateful you are. I'm giving you exactly what you want. Why are you not eating this, this ham sandwich, you, you ungrateful, spoiled person? Okay, then, then get out. Get out of my restaurant. Um, oh, but by the way, you still have to pay keep keep paying your taxes and everything and love me for right. telling you this you know it, it's just uh, again I, I i think what's so frustrating in in hong kong is is you know this this change in its core values i think the hong kong we grew up in was a hong kong where you know the government made mistakes and it put its hands up and it said you know we'd made a mistake you know the the um the, you know i think like with the police, you know, we 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 knew people in the police force. Okay, it had it had its own problems, but generally we felt that our institutions were fundamentally honest. And I don't think we can say that anymore. I think when we looked at our universities and um, and our yeah and our police, we we thought in the past that they were non-political. Now I think we can't say that now. You know, we, we feel everything has become political. Everything has become politicized. I'm just reminded we have um, the ICAC, mm. which is the Independent um, Commission Against Corruption, corruption right, yeah. which started in the 70s under Government Macbeth. Yeah, so that was that was sort of that was it, that cleared out all the corrupt police, and and, and we were very well, a lucky. Lot of it. We, I mean, we, we, there are still. I mean, obviously, yeah. I mean, you can never you can never fully. You can never fully clear out corruption. I I feel, but but you know but, I think but, but I yeah, think but it was a big big and important move yeah. that like and that was I think what you're saying here is is oh look we have a problem we're mm. not going to say that there isn't a problem we're saying this is a problem let let's address it to the best we can there yeah. was at least some sort of candidness about where we really are but but I, I don't think it's an issue of corruption I, I mean I'm not saying that Hong Kong is more corrupt now I, I actually think Hong Kong you know is still as uncorrupt in that sense mm. as as it was before I, sure. you know I, I think I, I I think our government is amazingly uh, um, you, you know uh, um, not corrupt they, they don't take bribes and things but right. it's a much more insidious form of corruption I think there's a corruption in in the values and what I can say is that um, you know from personal experience of, of you know, being being on the board of of a, a certain institution in Hong Kong, um, you know, I, I've I've sat in board meetings when people have come in and said, uh, "I want this thing removed from the minutes." This thing I said last month removed from the minutes, and you know, I I've said as a, as acting secretary, well, I can. We can minute it down this month that you have changed your mind, but I can't remove the things from the mm. minutes, you know. And there was literally people who could not understand that. And, you know, this is what I mean. It's just in the way things are done, in the way things operate, in the way 
I think I think unfortunately um, there there is a political pressure. There is a a additional consideration that is made now that corrupts a lot of the decisions we make. I think in the past, let's say our government could say, look, we have this situation, we have this problem, just as you said, all of these different people are saying this, let's think of the best way to deal with this. Um, That was it. Now there's suddenly this other consideration. What will Beijing think? What's the communist line? What's the CCP line? So even though it's that one additional consideration, it actually distorts the complete the conclusion you, mm. you get. And, and the reason why I have so little hope, unfortunately, for, for Hong Kong, you know, and, and I don't believe things will get better under Carrie Lam, you know, who's our new chief executive and under her administration, is that I, I think, Josh, you're absolutely right. I think the... God, I sound like Theresa May saying that. Absolutely right. But, um, <laughs> you know, the, the huge problem is that having a dialogue, having another opinion is now considered to be a challenge. It's not considered to be a benefit. It's not considered to be something which is good. And that is because Hong Kong has moved from a politics and a political situation which was defined by various opinions and trying to look for a balance to one which is completely top down where the ccp says this is what hong kong needs and you then need to sort of find the excuse or mold people to accept it so unfortunately i think there you know unless there's change in china yeah i mean you you watch you know there's going to be the you know, of course, the, the, the party congress coming up. But, you know, you, you look at the way the CCP operates. You look at every single speech. People stand up, clap, clap, clap. You know, the whole thing is choreographed. You know, you don't have a single person who stands up and says, I want to challenge that position. Or can you explain that? Or can you clarify? Or I don't agree with something. And I think that's just the way... The People's Republic of China works. It's all top down. And it's all one way. It's all about I issue a statement and you follow it, follow it through. And I think Hong Kong is being forced into that mold. So no, 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 I I don't have that much hope. And then maybe coming back to right at the very beginning about the interview and leaving Hong Kong. I, I wrote actually I wrote an essay which I recently discovered um, I think four years ago and the essay was entitled Why I Will Never Leave Hong Kong so that should show you how things have changed, how things have changed and how you know close I felt and I still feel to Hong Kong I mean I always say that in my family I'm someone who um, I was only sustained by one route and that one route went very very deep into one home and that one home is here in Hong Kong and I realized that all the soil is being eroded very quickly and uh, as a result I I fell over you know um, went into a 
you know, depression that required two bouts of hospitalization. And uh, let's just say, you know, it's very, it was very, I'm lucky, very lucky to get out. And I'm fully aware that if I don't lay a route somewhere else, then um, I won't stand up. You know, I, I will, I will blow over and I can do nothing. So I've actually told some of the people I've told who, you know, who are involved in, 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 you know, who feel proud about Hong Kong or who are sort of involved in, I would say, standing up for Hong Kong um, and who were very, very disappointed when, when I told them that I plan to leave next year. Uh, I told them, I said, you know, would you rather have me stay and perhaps not be here at all and do nothing or leave and establish a second home, lay a second route that gives me the stability to be around for hopefully um, a nice long lifetime writing about Hong Kong and doing what I can to keep the memory, you know, the the true memory of what Hong Kong really was and what Hong Kong is to its people alive. And, um, you know, that's that's really the consideration. It's 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 there's a health issue. Uh, and there's also an issue of, you know, obviously it's reached the point now when I sort of say, I, I, I know, don't want to sound melodramatic, but I'm really trying to sort of understate this. You know, I kind of feel that my life is sort of, in a way, is over. I, I feel... Um, what do you mean? Well, I, I feel that with Hong Kong's change, Hong Kong meant so much to me individually. And I know people are different. Some people are very close to their home and close to their family. Some people are not. I just happen to be someone who's very, very close to my home, for whom it means so much. And close to my family. And my obviously, Hong Kong means so much to my family too. And, and um, you know, I realise that fundamental thing, that home, is is gone and it won't be back. And... You know, I'll always have that hole. In in some ways, I get a part of me is is dead. You know, I I accept while it's dying. I accept it's dying, and I accept it will will die. And I look at, I look forward, and I say, do I want my children to go through this? Do I want my children to grow up in a society where the choice is, you either grow up here as the child of an expatriate or a child who grows up in those circles perfectly adept at turning that blind eye of being another uncle um, what happens if my child turns out to be a child like me who feels very rooted and is denied that route so I would rather have children somewhere where they're allowed to identify and you know for me I suppose I'm fortunate in the sense that, you know, I can go and I have the option of going to live in the UK and the UK will always be a foreign place for me and it won't won't really be my home. But I feel the UK will allow my children to identify as being British and I feel that they can grow up in the UK, um, you know, with, with, with without having to go through 
what I feel and what I also know a lot of Hong Kong people feel um, is basically the death of their own identity. So, um, yeah, that's how I kind of feel it. Yeah. Sorry, Josh. No, 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 yeah. no, no, not at all, not at all. Um, I, I can tell you the the, the, the first piece I, I wrote when I came back from depression, that which is called Coming Back Homeless. Um, I, I have it pulled up right here, actually. There, I, I cannot count literally the number of people who have sort of contacted and said that they broke down crying um, reading that piece and again I look at the government we've just had our our policy address you know that all our pro-establishment you know papers have said were wonderful the same papers and commentators who described the the protests we were at as being violent and you know awful and, and all that um, and here was a policy address that made no mention of identity issues no mention of Hong Kong values really Hong Kong values you know it's you know we have a chief executive that said well I I pray that Hong Kong people will learn to love their nation more strongly or something along that lines so, I mean you know, can't our government just, even if you're powerless, don't you have the dignity to stand up and say, come on, we know this is not the issue. Everyone, you know, I think everyone knows that this is not the issue. This is not what's really pulling at the hearts of Hong Kong people. Um, and I think, and that's what, that's what hurts so much. It's as I said. It's just perfectly summed up, you know, with with our uncles. It's just, you know, don't want to don't want to know. There's, you know, something that happened um, about a week, you know, two weeks ago. Um, a relative of mine was at the jockey club, and. Um, the jockey club, the, the club in, in, in Hong Kong, the, uh, yeah, a country kind of a, so, so it's like a, country pri- club, like a private club right? in yeah. Hong Kong where yeah, you know yeah. you have a lot of influential people. Yeah, meet it's been there. on for ages, and you know he's he's mixed, he's Eurasian, and someone he another member just walked up to him in front of a whole lot of other people and just said, um. You people are not welcome here anymore. This is China. This is someone, just a random person you'd never met before. No one said a single thing. That's, now that's pretty shocking. Yeah, and um, that, that that wouldn't like someone, and this is the same kind of person who would hear about a new something about about someone Chinese being discriminated against in the West and say, "See, yeah. look look at that bad behavior," yeah. and yet at the same time they are willing to perpetrate this same kind well, of ignorance well, what, is what, just what, shocking you know you get you get idiots in all countries oh yes but, but yes. what's so so shocking shocking was the reaction of my relative um you know he told me that story he told me what had happened to him not not to tell me that you know um evan there are these nasty people in hong kong 
uh, and I'm you know you know I'm quite upset with the way they they did this to him right in front of his family in front of his wife and kids, and um, he said you know his reaction was to just smile and accept it, and what he told he told me that story to say, you see Evan. This is what you need to learn to do. And that is, um, you just accept it. We have to accept the old man who said that to him is right. What? This is China. We don't belong here. Um, We just have to accept it. Now... Where does that even come from? It sounds... I mean, that... Is it it just... Is it just an accept... Like, is it... Is, on, it, is honestly, it colonial guilt? Is like what? What? What is that? Is it? Is it? Is it the fact that yes, I do not have the power. Like the 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 crown is no longer can no longer have a say, and therefore, how I look dictates how I should be treated. I, what? 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 What in the actual fuck though? Like like why? Why? I, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, yeah, I, just, I don't understand why that. Why? Sorry. Why? Yeah. <laughs> Well, no, no, no. I, you know, I, I've actually interviewed many people, not just relatives, but many people who hold this view. I, I mean, uh, you know, a while back there was there was a, a piece I wrote called, uh, which was just outlining this one interview as, as an example of many interviews that kind of made the same point of a, a certain type of person in Hong Kong who, you know, his family had been here for... 150 years and um, when when um, asking him you know what is Hong Kong how do you understand Hong Kong is it a people is it a set of values he said Hong Kong doesn't belong to us it doesn't belong to its people Hong Kong is a borrowed place on borrowed time and I said to him I said you know the essay I wrote or the, the piece I wrote was called a borrowed place on borrowed time and I said to him I said I said but you know that was the old saying the old colonial saying that after you know right it was a borrowed place right you know surely now that it's gone back to china now that we're part of a nation it's no longer a borrowed place but there's still this attitude that the people have no connection with the land the territory mm. is belongs to someone else it belongs to the ccp it belongs to beijing and i also think that you know sadly there's there's um well, you have we have two. Okay, apologise for the generalisations. You'll probably upset a lot of people. No, but, I, I, and but, I'm sorry. I, I do want to just sort of say that I think in this throughout the throughout the course of this podcast, we may have sort of generally spoken about certain certain things, and the 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 usual caveat goes that you know things aren't always black and white. It's not always mm-hmm. clear what is right or what is wrong. Which is why we have these discussions, which is why we try to look at different views and try to find facts and try to search for some sort of truthfulness in this crazy, godforsaken world that we live in. And, and actually, that this is actually the, an article that you wrote uh, just very recently, which was actually about the... Uh, this is on the... Uh, on the uh, the anniversary it's called after the umbrella movement healing a divided city must start with 
truthfulness. Mm. And I think what we're talking about here fundamentally, I think, is let's just be honest about where we are, what's happening, well, it's, what's it's going just, just on. like, you know, a long time ago, well, at the beginning of this podcast, when we were speaking about the, um, you know, what happens at Tiananmen Square, you know, no one is saying that, you know, the, the Chinese Communist Party, um, you know, should be, the, the members should be taken out and punished for what happened. All we're saying is that we have to accept that this happened. Mm. And we also have to acknowledge that the fact that it happened meant that it, it had a, a resonance, it, it had an implication uh, socially amongst many, many people, yeah. many Chinese people. And to sort of just deny that it happened, to call anyone who who says that something might have happened a, you know, a liar or unpatriotic and to, to you know, issue them with abuse is, is immensely unhelpful to try and believe that you can bend all the people through national patriotic education to believe in one political narrative is, I think, really counterproductive to, you know, as, as someone who is more Chinese than I am any other, you know, any other eth- ethnic group. And there's also someone who is, is uh, you know, more connected to China, having grown up here than, than anywhere else. You know, I, I, I feel it is fundamentally not in the interests of China and of the Chinese people to operate in the way the CCP is in Hong Kong. I think trying to sort of brainwash a nation, trying to sort of, as I believe they're trying to do, establish a two-tier legal system where we have rule of law when it comes to corporate, uh, you know, corporate law, but rule by law when it comes to dealing with, you know, civil liberties is not going to work because there's a fundamental contradiction. Um, you know, to try and have universities and education and educate the people of China, but at the same time saying one cannot discuss ideas. You know, did they propose that actually the two tier regarding civil liberties? They, they ha- they, <laughs> no, no, they, I mean they haven't proposed that, but I'm just saying that that's, uh, that's oh, what oh. I see. Okay, that's what I really, you know, very much see happening. Um, whether it's you know, co- sort of covertly is what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Eleven. It's almost two hours. I think we got another maybe five more minutes. Okay. So I just wanted to sort of see how do we just because it's we we got we got pretty deep and heavy, which which is which which there's nothing. <laughs> which is to, quite usual. <laughs> well, but this is what we this is I think I think you and I inherently do. We 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 can sit for hours just talking about things and just and we have and we 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 go oh for walks gosh. and talk and and, and you know but but this again this this is what. This is what I think Hong Kong is also to me, you know, fundamentally, just as you said, it's about being able to talk, having that freedom of conscience. You know, we can meet as friends, we can walk around the river here, you know, we can go to each other's house and we can sit and we can talk about the things we've been talking about now. We may not agree on certain things, but if we don't agree, we can we can discuss it. And, you know, that that is the, the type of society we grew up in now. When I go and visit relatives in, you know, on, on the mainland, um, you can sit there and you can talk 
as much as you like about food. But if we touched on any of these subjects, you know, when we touched on, you know, the, the issue of, you know, really sort of the identity in Hong Kong, you know, Josh was in tears. You, know, the, the, you didn't have to say that, yeah, man. Like, well, you didn't well, have to say well, that. Well, he was. I, I mean, you know, I, I, I maybe have talked uh, about it long enough now to sort of hold my tears. But, you know, but... It's different it, hearing... It's different when you hear someone say something um, that resonates on a, on a deep human, a very deep human, human level. Human level. Right. Because what we're talking about here isn't, like... Uh, fundamentally, I think as human beings, we all want... The very same things we want to feel love we want to feel belonging we mm. want to feel a sense of community we want to feel like our ideas are valued we want to feel like we're useful as individuals and we want to feel like we can truly live out our lives in harmony yeah. even if we disagree and it's un- inevitable how many people are there you think everybody believes the same thing get out of town so just to but to hear it said in such a human way and you know Evan you and I we uh, also we have a we well, we have a connection with home don't yeah we? and we do and and just as, and and experience wise I think that's that uh, that resonated so it I definitely it uh, yeah it, it it resonated something you know but, deep but, within me but I think yeah. you know the the fact that something which is so important that resonates so deeply can't be discussed on the mainland. We can't discuss that. I can't discuss that with my relatives as soon as I cross the border. And now what I'm finding in in Hong Kong, even if the laws haven't changed yet, mm. um, is that I can't go to places. There are many places I, I, I go to in Hong Kong where um, I may legally be able to talk about this, but people don't want to confront it they don't want to talk about it and and i i think i think that's what you what you're doing is you're bottling up a lot of pain and a lot of anguish and um i, I just don't feel that's the that's the way well in, in, it psycho- be dealt with. in psychological terms that's actually quite pathological hmm. right i mean to 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 not, to deny a portion of your thought, to have to suppress yeah. within yourself. I mean, that's a lot of mental gymnastics mm. that has to happen for an individual. And now you you multiply that. What's that going to create? You know, you you have to wonder. I but mean, but I, I, I'm sorry, Evan. I just yeah. we're just we're running a bit. We're, we're getting we're, we're almost right, at two so, hours. Yeah. I do want to ask though, just sort of, and see if we can try to keep this to just a few minutes. Is do we see any positive change? Do we see overall a, a trend of positive change? Not in Hong Kong per se, but it perhaps in because okay. because the change don't necessarily happen here. We, as you mentioned earlier, that the changes has to happen up north. So, do we see any positive shifts there? That's one thing. And then I'd like to talk about as individuals, what what can we do? What what can we positively glean from this? And perhaps okay mobilize to do i know it's quite yeah, yeah, long yeah, yeah, yeah. but is that that's quite clear those, those two, things, two. Those two okay. things yeah so so if i take the, the first one and um i'll start by by actually saying that um not only in beijing but i think you know if you look globally there's a lot that's been said and written 
you know, about this being a very, you know, potentially worrying time. You have, you know, liberal democracy uh, really being challenged. You know, you, um, you know, forgetting about Trump in the US. I mean, you know, you're looking at the European Union uh, having its problems, you know, Brexit, which is a problem you have. Um, and then you have Russia and China that I think are, are quite overtly trying to establish a new um, international base, uh, an international way of doing things and a new international set of values, which don't include, you know, concepts like universal human rights. Now, that all actually, I think, is very worrying. And I think in the short term, it's it's very important to make it really clear that, you know, this is something that we reject. But what I what I would say is that I look back at history and I say to you know, all, all those people, let's say, in China who who say, oh, well, uh, you know, China was this once great nation and we're rebuilding that nation. You know, China reached its its zenith in land and, and in influence. We could say, you know, during the reign of Emperor Qianlong. Um, and, you know, at that time, how did Qianlong actually retain the we could say all of those all of this, this these diverse vassal states. He didn't say, "I am the great emperor and I dictate orders and everyone must follow them." What he did was he said to the northern the northern Manchus, he said, "I am Qing. I am a Manchu. I go hunting. I hunt like you. I am one of you. You know, I am the huntsman." He then said to the Chinese you know, to the Han. He said, I I write calligraphy. I am the scholar king. I am the Han king. I am one of you, the Chinese. He said to those, you know, the, the, the Tibetans, he said, I am a Buddhist. I, I, I um, am part of the Tibetan Buddhist tradition. I come to you. I am your spiritual vassal. And you are my, you know, my vassal, my political vassal. So I am part of your Buddhist world. He then said to, to the, the the people out on the steps, uh, out in in the, western the steps, in, yeah. in in western China, mm-hmm. he said, I am the successor to I am you know a Mongol. I am the successor to the Great Khan. I am you know I come from the nomadic. North. I'm again a Manchu. Um, I am one of you. So what he did was, he, China was able to exist because the 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 emperor and power could appeal to all of those different people. And it comes back to that story that I was saying when I was a kid, which I think was so wise. You know, government really is about listening to all the different people, all those views, and trying to find a way to present yourself to to hold all of these people together it's not about imposing one view so i actually would say you know if you go back and you look at look in history i think people have kind of always wanted to feel somewhat represented even in in you know in in religious based systems as to i guess your second question what what can we do um 
I mean, I, I always say to people in, in Hong Kong who I think love Hong Kong as much as I do that, you know, no matter what happens, no matter what happens around us, no matter how things change, um, you know, we we just have to be honest to ourselves. You know, if, if, if there's something we see, if there's something we feel or experience, there's nothing wrong with talking about it. There's nothing wrong with remembering it. And um, I think in that way, you know, Hong Kong will continue in all of us, in, in all in all of us who, who love Hong Kong. And I think I think generally all over the world, I um, I think that's the most important freedom. The you know the the freedom to be comfortable in your own skin, to be um, you know comfortable with with who you are. And thanks a lot. No, not not at I all. I appreciate that. No, that was great. Thank you. Mm-hmm.